family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host, looking forward to two hours of improvisational conversation, some insights, some ideas, some laughs, some cool jazz, a little street philosophy, and we will open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox. Joining me as he does every week on air radio. Broadcaster extraordinaire, Ron Van Warmer. He'll be controlling how the computer as we talk about the zeitgeist of the 21st century is yours to share. Interesting article from a website called Triple Pundit, The Business of Doing Better. And it gets to one of the key trends that we like talking about on this program that is literally transforming uh, the culture, which is the distinction between owning something and sharing something. Article in today's Sunday Times. One of the most adorable photos you could imagine. Everyone gather around the squirrel table. Yes, a new trend is squirrel tables. It's an adorable photo, but there's something very wrong with that picture. And we're going to make it right by talking about it. Uh, what are we thinking? A new media project we'll be launching for 2021. Very excited. A virtual salon. We'll tell you more about that. We'll have jazz from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. Street philosophy from personal friend of the Big Electron, Patrick Carlin. If that's not enough, some John Fogarty out of the Wichstock Roundtable jukebox. So fasten your seatbelts. Inject yourself with caffeine or whatever gets you motivated in the morning. Because we're going to have some fun here at the Wichstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Good morning, Ron. And good morning, Doug. A balmy morning this morning, huh? Yeah, um, relatively balmy. What was the temperature? It was in the mid to upper 40s. Oh, I love global warming. <laughs> Tell me if you think this is selfish or not, because, you know, ethics is an interesting and complex subject. Mm. Uh, every morning, uh, after I do a little stretching, a little bit of meditating, um, I go outside and I start spraying into the ozone spray cans to increase global warming because I, li <laughs> I like it when it's warmer in the winter. Is that being selfish? Well, you know, um, I, I kind of agree. I mean, it, it is selfish, and, and yet I wouldn't mind having a more moderate climate here in New York. Uh, if you'd like, I have an, a new business model. It's called sprayintheozone.com, <laughs> and uh, we're going to get a whole thousand people to spray and just let's, let's you know, you know how homeopathy works, right? In medicine, you mm -hmm. don't you, you don't fight the disease; you encourage it. So, right. Anyway, no, uh, we're right. not doing that. But no, but I get it. You get it. I it's, get it. I like the fact that we these winters are a lot calmer here. Yeah. Now, I mentioned I have a, a buddy who's a golf uh, pro down in West Palm Beach, and he's beside himself. He he, he and his wife are saving up to move. 
because they love the warm weather, but now it's not warm weather five months of the year. It's they can't go out of an mm. air conditioned car or or <laughs> or apartment. Yeah, yeah. The heat. He told me. You know, we we talk a couple times a month, and from I'm gonna guess I'm not like like late May to early September. He said I can't go outside. I get sick. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, he works in a pro shop that's air conditioned because he said the heat. Humidity index is over a hundred every day. Yeah, that wasn't true ten years ago. It's uh, it's changing and it's difficult. You know, I was uh, just even a few years ago. I was in Nashville, and it was so hot that you really you couldn't go out. And I thought, how did people live here before there was air conditioning? And why would anybody do that? Why would anybody <laughs> settle in this spot that is so hot you can't go outside? Well, because we could say the same thing as how could anyone settle in a northern country that's so cold you mm. can't believe it. I know. And um, Weird humans, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Was, <laughs> well, you know, I was talking about this with somebody. Um, we're mad. Well, <laughs> all right. Our brains, the subject of our project that you and uh -huh. I are going to launch in January, we're going to talk to people how they can subscribe to it. Um the human brain, we like to say anthropomorphically, is the most complicated thing in the universe. That we, It's the most complicated thing in the universe that we know about, that our brains right. think about. Our brains, which are pretty extensive and expansive, but I would like to think there are a lot of forms of intelligence in the galaxies and universe that are greater than ours. I would hope so. Right. But... Um, any monolith out there listening, come on down. <laughs> I'd sure like to get some evidence. Uh... Yeah, it would you be know. nice. Yeah. But again, we talk about distances. Um and even at the even at the speed of light, how long it takes us would say if we just wanted to take a trip to Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And that's that's in the next room compared yeah. to where some things are. But at any rate, our brains are much of it are mammalian. Mm -hmm. from an evolutionary standpoint. And mammals, one of the central traits of a mammal is territory. Right. Um, I, I remember when I first learned this, I would go like, why would, why would that animal not move? There's now a suburban project mm. all around it. You know, why are, uh, a friend of mine in New Jersey I used to visit before, the pandemic um, lives in a in a suburban area, so the houses you know everyone has maybe a quarter of an acre at most, mm -hmm. and there's very little woods left, and yet he has deer in his backyard. And I'm going, how? Why don't these deer move somewhere that's more? They don't. Mammals don't move their homes. It doesn't matter what's going on; they'll adapt to where they are. They will not move their homes for the most part, and. We do. We humans, although we're very territorial, guess what? That's why there's a war going on every minute of every day somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, we're fighting for territory. We do move. Yes. And that requires a part of our brain that is not the mammalian part because the mammalian part of our brain doesn't, doesn't want do to move. Right. Well, you know, we make it easy. I mean, some uh, 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 like a bear, um, the population has increased because we make the food easy for them to get. 
At the same time, we're making it more difficult for them to survive because we encroach our consumer lifestyle, which is destroying a lot of their habitats. Yeah. So there's a lot of yin-yang there, yeah. Um, but, you know, to, serve, to, to be successful, one has to adapt. Yeah. And um, we've talked about this before. This is more the, the project we're going to be doing. What are we thinking? But um, I remember a few years ago thinking about the, how little I knew about evolution. Because what were we taught about evolution? We taught four words. Survival of right. the fittest. Right. Which is not a phrase from Charles <laughs> Darwin, and it's not what it sounds like. It and it it requires. It's a little more complex. It's yeah. not right. So um, he what, what he meant more was, according to biologists, is um, those that can work with change and novelty, because that is the real engine of evolution. Right. If we just step back and think about it for a second, if everything remained the same, we wouldn't be here. No, <laughs> because we never would have evolved from where we came from. Right. Uh, not only nature here, but it appears the whole universe is based on novelty, on change. Mm. And at the heart of quantum physics, the most successful scientific discovery ever is a mystery. One of which is the uncertainty principle. Nothing is certain. Right. Yeah. Now, on the human level, perhaps Ben Franklin was right. Maybe death and taxes are certain, <laughs> although who knows in the future. Mm -hmm. But um, we, we adapt. But, you know, mammals, they don't move. Yeah. They don't move. They, they adapt where they are, which gets us to this photo in today's New York Times. Now, on one level, it is adorable. Yeah, I'll show it to you. Okay. you can go, it's a, right? You want, you want to describe what you're what you're looking at? Um, this is a actually that's a chipmunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not a squirrel. That's a chipmunk. Okay, <laughs> it, it's about squirrels and chipmunks. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, and it's uh, at a picnic table. Correct. Uh, a little picnic table. A squirrel or a chipmunk sized picnic table. Yes. Now, you want to take a wild guess whether the chipmunk and his and his co-workers built that or whether mm. humans built that for him i got a pretty good guess yeah so you'd say well that's adorable right uh-huh by the way it's also a trend oh um so i'll read a little bit from the article and i'll tell you about what i don't <laughs> like about this <clears throat> um this is an article written by leah picard in today's new york times everyone gather around the squirrel table chipmunks too Enticing wildlife to the backyard with tiny furniture and elaborate meals has consoled Americans during the quarantine. Mm. Okay. On one level, A, it's adorable, right? Right. Two, if you have kids, I'm sure this is a thrill. They can look out and see the squirrels and the chipmunks eating at the little picnic table they made for them. <laughs> But this is wrong on so many levels. Number one, mostly, uh, and this is a tough one because if I had it my way, I would love to feed animals. But um, what bird feeders tell me is if you put out a bird feeder, you have an ethical responsibility to keep it filled all year round because they start depending on it. And when they depend mm -hmm. on food that we're providing for them, 
they, to various degrees, lose the ability to fend for food for themselves. So we think it's a, oh, we put out bird seed, we have birds, then we go away for the winter, and those birds are suddenly have to adapt maybe faster than they can. Mm-hmm. So what we think is cute and even helpful is often actually hurting them. And um, I get it. This pandemic is taking a huge toll. And the biggest toll, as, as horrific and tragic as the fact that so many people have died from it, the real tragedy is going to be the people who suffer emotionally from all the things we're trying to do to stop it. Um, just reading, I mean, if you really dig a little bit, you'll see that mental health uh, is off the, you know, is mm-hmm. mental health issues are off the chart. Uh, there's more abuse. There's more suicides. There's more everything because people are freaked out. We are so, talk about mammals. We are wired to be social. Right. The reason yeah. we did so well in evolution is because of our ability to collaborate mm-hmm. in ways that other animals cannot. Uh, we build cities. We created agriculture. We collaborated. If we couldn't collaborate, we'd all be back in caves. And we have a very complex uh, language. F- which helps us collaborate. Right. And also confuses the hell out of it. But anyway, <laughs> but yes, language is a big part of that. So what's wrong with this picture? Well, <clears throat> number one, I'm making a guess that a lot of the these people on trend who are building little cute little picnic tables for squirrels <laughs> and putting food out for them, you know, are going to stop at some point. They're going to get bored with it or go mm. on to something else. Meanwhile, now that <laughs> squirrel... It has to ad- has to adapt more than normal, which is tough enough. Right. Um, so I get it. It's cute. Uh-huh. But underneath <laughs> that cuteness is, to me, a tendency of the of uh, of our species to anthropomorphize to the um, creating problems for for other species. Right. Um, what does anthropomorphize mean? I don't like the word because I don't like any word ending in ism or eyes, but to anthropomorphize is to project human qualities onto non-human things. Right. This is going to be a big issue in AI. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Um, we name our cars. After, even. after animals. And how do we even quantify how powerful a car or truck engine is mm, uh, horsepower exactly yeah because before cars it was horses that we yeah. drove um <clears throat> the problem is when we anthropomorphize it's good if we if we say okay animals have feelings too therefore we have a responsibility not to make them suffer needlessly mm-hmm. uh, but we tend to think it's cute and dress them up and all that stuff and and then move on and then what do they do um, I had a friend uh, at a time who lived that used to live in Kingston, and she had a house, and I would go visit her and her husband, and she developed a relationship with a squirrel. Hmm. Um, every day she would go out on her porch, sit down to read in the warmer weather, 
and she would have some acorns or peanuts or whatever with her. And this, I, one day I was there. She said, watch this. Down came the squirrel. I forget what she, she had a name for it. Down came the squirrel. She held out her hand. The squirrel ate from her hand and then went back up. It was adorable. Right. Um, but she's moved on. What happened to the squirrel? You know, he got, you know, whatever. I've seen that with deer as well. People actually have have deer that come to their mm-hmm. house and they hold out the food and the deer eats the food. And then, of course, um, uh, the deer also eats all the flowers from their garden mm-hmm. and eats their garden. So we have to put fences around them. And mm, the population grows because life is so easy because we're feeding them and they don't have uh, any uh, – they don't have the – the uh, natural predators mm-hmm. uh, that are coming to, you know. Because we don't like their predators, so we get rid of them, you know, right. coyotes and wolves. And and then then we have a deer population that, that gets out of hand, and then we have to kill them. So <laughs> one of the things I had to learn after moving up to the country from the city, New York City, because I used to be anti-hunting, like, oh, God, these – Goofy hunt. I hope they shoot themselves rather than the poor deer, right? And then a wildlife expert came on our show uh, years ago and explained, mm-hmm. <clears throat> look, we want hunters to be responsible because um, many of them are just out there getting drunk and, you know, those people I hope just not kill each other but shoot each other in the feet. <laughs> and sometimes, and, and usually they <clears throat> do. But one or uh, and I will say this, one of my favorite stories of the past 30 years is a story somewhere down south where uh, some guy, some guys got drunk and they're out there and they catch this rabbit they were going to kill or something and eat or whatever. And uh, the rabbit worked its way out of the bag and stepped on the trigger of the gun and shot the guy <laughs> in the ass. I'll never forget. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. <clears throat> and by the way, any of you out there, if you find stories of rabbits shooting guys in the ass, please send them. We, we like those stories. Yeah. But what the wildlife expert said to me that I had to grow up and and learn is while we want hunters to be responsible, and most hunters are responsible, Mm -hmm. they do a service. Yeah, absolutely. Because if if the deer overpopulate, they starve. And there's nothing, nothing more physically horrific than starving to death. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I looked at as a you know bunch of yahoos out there in funny outfits, you know, going out for target practice, um, uh, responsible hunters do a tremendous service, not only you know, to, to the entire environment. Right. Yeah. And you know, a lot of them don't know what to do with the deer, so a lot of those deer get donated to food banks, mm-hmm. and then, which you worked at, so you right. know. And then uh, uh, that that food can be distributed to people who need it because the right. hunter isn't going to eat all of that food. Right. Deer, it's a lot of meat. And um, th- there's where we have the responsibility. And then I'll never forget, again, once in a while you, we learn something. You know, We remember. Many years ago, uh, I got friendly through golf with, with the gentleman who was a pastor. Uh-huh. He was a Unitarian, you know, uh, so it was like one of those kind of like very open-minded, inclusive inclusive churches. But he was a pastor and a very good golfer. Uh And we would get into conversations, and it turned out he was a very nice guy, 
we get into conversations, and it turned out that he was actually a fundamentalist in the sense that he believed that every word of the Bible was actually true. Mm. And then I would argue, well, how could that be? <laughs> and then I, re- then I found out he had been an alcoholic, and by believing that the Bible was true, helped him get off alcohol, so good for him. All right. And he wasn't using, like a lot of fundamentalists do, he wasn't using his <clears throat> strong belief that every word of the Bible was true to screw other people, you know, right. uh, or try to enforce his values on other people. He's a very open-minded guy. But he taught me something extremely important about the Bible. Not that it was fundamental, because I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I said, I have a problem with the language in the Bible that uh, God, I don't have a problem with God created man as a story, um, but then gave him, now I'm forgetting the word, gave him um, power over all animals and things. What was right. the, what's the word? Um, I'm uh, blanking out on it. Uh, dominion. Dominion. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I remember my Bible. Take the rest of the day off. <laughs> um Yes, I didn't like the phrase that God gave dominion to to man over the animals and all living things because our domination of nature is not only screwing nature, but now screwing us. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you don't know that COVID-19 is a result of us trying to encroaching and dominating nature, you haven't been paying attention. Right. And he taught me something very interesting. He said, no, 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 no. That's a misinterpretation. Of Genesis, because the word, the English word, remember the, the the King's English Bible is translated from the Greek, which was translated from the Aramaic, right, and the Hebrew. Okay, so a lot can get lost in translation. He said the word dominion does not come from the word dominate; hmm. its root, it comes from the root responsibility. Oh. So think of the difference between. God gave man dominion over the animals and all living things versus God gave man the responsibility over yeah. animals and all living things. And responsible hunters are good for the environment. Mm-hmm. And they're actually good for the animal population. Right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, dominion is about responsibility, not about domination. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting interpretation. <clears throat> and, and many, many people, unfortunately, don't have that interpretation that dominion means power over. What proof do you have of that? <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it in action. I think if you open up any newspaper or turn on any radio or TV broadcast, you're going to hear about responsibility and not domination. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, the drugs have kicked in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at any rate. Drink the Kool-Aid. Um Back to the article. The article, everyone gather around this world too. So, so you know, now on a process point here, so I don't like the content. I, the photo's cute. I get it. Uh-huh. I get it. It would be really fun to have a little squirrel table and watch the squirrels come and eat every day. That would be enjoyable. <laughs> and by the way, when I look at my Kingston window, living in a, in a city that has, has, still has some tre- trees and woods and things, watching squirrels about as entertaining as it gets. Uh-huh. And not only entertaining, but... It's like watching a good sporting event. Boy, are they dexterous. They are very clever as well. Incredibly clever, incredibly adaptable. 
um, and just incredibly coordinated. Oh my God! Watching squirrels, two squirrels chase each other is about as good as it oh, gets. Yeah, and and just watching them figure out how to get something, mm. how to get to the bird feeder that is squirrel proof which I've never come across one that actually works. One of our sponsors we'll talk about today, <laughs> Marble Town True Value, has a squirrel-proof bird feeder. And I remember having conflicted emotions about that. Uh-huh. I mean, I want the birds to get their food, but anyway, squirrels can can find they, food other than what's in bird feeders. They take care, good care of themselves. But yeah, good luck. I mean, the squirrel will most of the time out with the human. Yeah. With Tom, because, you know, they're not going to stop until they get it. <laughs> it's true. We get bored. Yeah. Um, at any rate, uh, squirrels, chipmunks, and the zeitgeist of the 21st century. There's a leap. Wow. wow. But as we like to say, uh, we are no longer in the world of step-by-step. Step. We're now in the mm. world of the quantum leap. So we'll take a leap into the zeitgeist of the 21st century um, and uh, continue to talk a little bit about squirrels um, <laughs> and human beings insisting on building them picnic tables. Uh, when we come back with more of the Woodstock Roundtable. the Woodstock Roundtable, right? It is. I am Doug Grunther, joined as I am every week by Ron Van Warmer, who is kind of commiserates with Hal to keep us on the air, <laughs> and will be working with me on a new project I'm very excited about called What Are We Thinking? Mm-mm. And I came up with this phrase called a virtual salon because... <clears throat> As much as I, st- I still love doing this show on Sundays. A little grumpy when I have to get up early on a Sunday <laughs> morning. But once I get here, kid, right, we're kids in a candy store. Yeah. Uh, equally enjoyable over the last five or six years have been um, about a dozen talks I gave at salons. Um, they were created by Ed Rosenfeld and his partner. Ed died earlier this year. Great man who wrote the book, The Making of 2001, ah. who worked with Buckminster Fuller. Wow. Who had a very successful newsletter for about 20 years on artificial intelligence. Taught me a lot about why AI is so important and interesting. And he and his partner started a salon in New York City that then expanded up to Woodstock because he and his wife had a, a home up here. And I used to be invited to give a couple talks a year. And I love the ones here in Woodstock, but I really love the ones in the city. Younger audience, millennials, about 60 people in a beautiful loft. And I would get to talk about dreams and the relationship between humor and health and the right hemisphere of the human brain. Well, guess what? I haven't been able to give any salon talks. Uh, we actually had one planned with uh, a gentleman down in Florida over the winter. Got canceled. Yeah. COVID. So we're creating a virtual salon. Oh, very cool. And other would call it a webinar, but um, 
Uh, I like I Virtual was to, Salon better. Webinar sounds dry and boring. It does, although but some of them are beautiful. Virtual um, Salon sounds. A virtual salon, and uh, this is in conjunction with uh, a gentleman out in L.A. who I was introduced to, great guy, Carrie Harrison. Um, and he and his partner created something called VIP Webinars. Um, and the website is VIPWebinars.org. And if you go there, uh, they have a, you know, a lot of tabs, and you go to the Webinar English, because actually they, have a, they do some in Spanish. Uh-huh. Uh, webinar English. Uh, they're putting up, there's still a few kinks we're working out, but um, if you go there, the, enough is up there to see uh, um, uh, that uh, we will be launching, Ron will be joining me, January 13th at 5 o'clock, our virtual salon, what are we thinking? A trip into the right hemisphere of the human brain. Mm. It is subscription-based. Uh-huh. It's going to be about $12 a month. Uh, credit card and PayPal, all that stuff. Uh, you don't pay all at once. You pay by the month. So you like it, great. If you don't, you just stop. Uh-huh. Um, they do a good job of explaining it. It's pretty easy to subscribe and see it. It's basically like a Zoom technology, but even better than Zoom. Hmm. Uh, you and I will be rehearsing over the ah. next few weeks, and then for the January 13th launch, it will consist of two things: a uh, monthly, about an hour and a half webinar, virtual salon, mm-hmm. where I'll be going into depth about a right hemisphere topic, my favorite subject. Um, and I think the most important thing we could be doing, not only during a pandemic, but going forward in the 21st century, because it's the right hemisphere of our brain that can make the quantum leaps. That That is the magic. And we need both hemispheres, okay? When we're thinking, we're using both hemispheres. But they see the world differently. Oh, yeah. And, and we're going to get into that difference and why the right hemisphere is better suited, better wired for what's coming down over the next few years, because we all know huge changes are coming. Oh, yeah. Talk about adapting. We're going to be have to be as adaptable as the squirrels and the bears. <laughs> and um, that's going to require some really good right hemisphere. So here's what it is. It's a monthly virtual salon where people in real time can send in questions and comments. Uh-huh. You'll be fielding them. Uh-huh. And we'll be integrating that into the virtual So That's what a salon is. right? The way the salons that Ed ran were that I loved you know, talking at people would gather uh the speaker would give about an hour talk and then there would be a give and take conversation for about a half an hour so we'll have that but then i'm also constructing a website ah. um a what are we thinking website which will be an intentional community where the people who subscribe can come every day see what others have posted, as well as I, insights, comments, links to information about the right hemisphere of the human brain. Hmm. So we're going to build, uh, in the uh, COVID and post-COVID, the world is going virtual. Yeah. So as much as I look forward to getting back to salons where I can be in f- with people, um, this is where things are going, and this is where we're going. And we're excited about it. Yeah. So uh, you can go to VIPwebinars.org. We'll be telling you more about it in the weeks to come. We're launching on January 13th. You can come in at any time and sign in. And uh, we'll be telling you more about it as we go forward. 
So, um, found an interesting. See here, yin yang. I love the yin yang symbol because at the same time as we have a right to bitch and moan and complain about all the fake news and all the flood of information coming at us. It's our job to pick and choose because we now have access to the Library of Alexandria, the world's yeah. wisdom and knowledge. We also are now being inundated with junk news, yeah, junk information, people trying to sell us every, every bridge in Brooklyn. <laughs> and yes, it takes some energy to differentiate, but here's why I'll, I'll take it the way it's coming. It's because my Google feed I listen, I will not I'm not surprised if somewhere in that Google algorithm is someone at Google trying to sell me something. But the fact is it sends me, as it sends everybody else, articles and links based on what I've looked at before. Mm -hmm. And so I get turned on to things I may not have found before, such as this article. I never heard of triple pundit website. <laughs> no, nor have I. But what day. I like to do sometimes is I'll just go up to Google and I'll Google in Zeitgeist um, 21st Century uh, Transformation and see what comes up. <laughs> so up came this article, The Zeitgeist of 21st Century is Yours to Share. Good title. And it's really about um, a, a trend going on that is one of the most important and one of the most positive if we learn to work it correctly. So I'll read a little from the article. The author is, give credit where credit is due. Um, where's the author? Doesn't tell you who wrote it. Oh, words by what? I guess it's written by a computer. Words by CCA Live E. Oh, no, here it is. Okay. Danielle Zimmerman. Okay. All right, here we go. I want to give her credit. Um, new options are emerging with a 20th century mindset of buy, use, dispose. The hyphen between each one, right? Buy, use, dispose is being replaced by systems um, where sharing is more useful than ownership. Hmm. And individuals take pride in their ability to consume resources only when they absolutely need to. Now, we are a consumer economy. It worked great mm -hmm. from post-World War II to about the Reagan age because it expanded wealth to the degree that we baby boomers benefited from it, many of us. Now it's eating its young. Mm. Um. We're consuming, literally consuming ourselves to death. Um, it's consumerism that brought us COVID-19. Right. Um, with more to come. And human beings have been very adaptable, you know. Uh, but I remember like in this, after the go-go, exciting, revolutionary, complex 1960s, in the 1970s, these books started coming out, Small is Beautiful, uh -huh. and boy, they got buried quickly. <laughs> because a lot of the folks who were faux hippies and uh, let's share and all you need is love became 
went back to you know Wall Streets and say, how much money can I make for me and my family? And right. I get it. To survive, we have to make money. Um, but technology is now not only driving, but making available the potential to shift our mentality and the practicality of our lives from success is based on how much one owns to success depends on how much one has access to. Mm-hmm. They are not the same thing. Right. Now, I, I guess from the time after I got about 40, 45 years old, I got so tired because I moved a fair amount, you know. I'm uh-huh. clear and I never went. Uh, that part of my mammalian brain has never been quite dominating, you know. I, I moved around <laughs> a lot and uh, never, never wanted to raise a family or settle in a home. Right. And I got so tired of schlepping all my books and CDs and all that stuff, you know, before the age of digital. Mm-hmm. That I just started downsizing. Yeah. Like 30 years ago. What a relief. It, it, it can take a weight off. Because I was a TV baby, man. My parents figured out early on, boy, that TV in the 50s is a great babysitter. And I got hit by those commercials. Uh-huh. And I got to hand it to advertisers. They're brilliant. Oh, yeah. They, go, they know how to get to the part of our pleasure parts of our brain that are demand, the same part of our brain that, that get people addicted to heroin, you, get people addicted yeah. to sugar. You watch TV now and you're showing commercials for all these, these giz, gizmos and gadgets that you would never uh, buy any other time of year but Christmas. And then you'll buy them and you'll use them for two or three days and then they're going to be sitting somewhere for the rest of the year. Probably ending up strangling a dolphin in an ocean somewhere. Exactly. So, you know, we, the, the, it's a bad phrase, herd immunity, but it's become popular now because some are saying until there's herd immunity, like it or not, any virus is going is, is gonna to have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know how what percentage of a population has to get something before it becomes mainstream but it's not 50 percent it's less Uh um so right now there's not enough percentage of human beings sharing rather than owning but it's a trend that is growing it is and woodstock actually has started a a new program um about house sharing because housing is so difficult Mm -hmm. in woodstock that uh they are encouraging people who have extra rooms in their home to not necessarily rent them to people, but to trade. The person can live there, they can do chores, you know, they can do the things yeah. that, uh, and sort of uh, help each other rather than um, just taking the money and, and house sharing. So the first thing that the mammalian brain, amygdala part of the brain does when you hear that goes, wait a minute, what if that person's a mass murderer yeah. or better yet, they're probably not a mass murderer. What if that person's a real jerk? Uh-huh. Do I want them living in my house? Okay. Well, I get it. There's a difference between someone living in our house and, and dealing with people online. But think about how eBay became an explosive success. It was so counterintuitive, okay? Because while it is perfectly logical to think, listen, talk about a jump the sharp <laughs> moment. Jump the sharp moment for me was 
because I used to love to go to yard sales. Uh huh. And buy lunch. And what jumped the sharp moment for me was when I literally paid two dollars for something at a yard sale and realized it was something I had given up like three years ago <laughs> and somehow circulated somebody else's yard sale. Wow. Um. But the eBay situation is so fascinating because while it's logical to understand, okay, it's going to be a yard sale online. Mm-hmm. Perfect. People love looking at stuff and buying stuff, right? But there was a trick to eBay that nobody knew if it would work or not, which is, wait a minute. I'm going to send money to you online. I don't know who the heck you are. Mm-hmm. I have to trust that if I send you the money, because they don't send you the item until you get, they get paid, right? They don't right. send you the item and hope you get paid. I'm going to send the money, and I have to hope, I don't know who you are. Yeah, it's true. That you're going to actually send, not only send it to me, but it's going to be what you said it was. Mm-hmm. Now, you'd think there's not enough trust for that to happen. It happened immediately. eBay was an enormous success immediately. Right. And there's a, there's a system on eBay where if you don't get what you want and, and, and what you're, you can report it, and that uh, then they ban that person from selling on eBay. True. If they get enough of those. Which is smart on eBay's part. They deserve yeah. to be multi-gazillionaires. But they had to generate enough interest before that yeah. system could prove itself. They had to have enough people trust that if I send my money in, I'm going to get what I said I was. And they did. Yeah. Look at Airbnb. People Airbnb. They, they don't know who these people are who are renting. They just, there's a certain amount of trust. Uh-huh. And for the vast majority of times, it works. Yeah. Um, so to continue with Miss Zimmerman's article, yeah. the zeitgeist of 21st century is yours on triplepundit.com. Okay. Now I don't know, I don't use these services, but I'm thrilled that they're available. Product service systems like, well, Zipcar. That's a perfect example. So many people are not buying their own cars. If you live in New York City, do you really want to own a car? Would you have to park in a garage or you have to park on the street and you have to move to the other side of the road every day? And you're actually using your car uh, once a month to drive to the Catskills. But why not just go to Hertz Rent-A-Car? Very expensive. Less convenient. Less convenient. The zip car, it's just, right? You just go pick it up and go. Boom. Um, Zipcar allow you the benefit of access when you need it without the hassles of ownership. Right. Peer-to-peer is what it's called, Mm. which is a good phrase. Peer-to-peer exchange and rental networks like ThreadUp. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't heard that one. It's T-H-R-E-D. They leave out the A. ThreadUp and Zylock, Z-I-L-O-K, allow you to sell outgrown children's clothing hmm. or rent out just about anything for some extra cash. Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for the next big opportunity or an individual looking to take small steps toward a sustainable lifestyle, sharing is becoming a lifestyle. The increased tendency to share is more than a reaction to our economic anguish. It's a social revolution founded on the revival of old-time values and a desire for camaraderie. 
Combined with an ever-growing awareness of personal environment impact, comfort with social networks, and access to real-time technologies and location-based services, we have everything we need for low-effort, high-satisfaction sharing. Um, I'm going to uh, get a, a, a review copy of this book that she recommends called What's Mine is Yours, The Rise of Collaborative Consumption. Uh, the authors are Rachel Botsman and Rue Rogers. I watched a TED Talk with Rachel Botsman. She's a very bright woman. They categorize the emerging market into three key system types, product service systems, redistribution markets, and collaborative lifestyle. And when I hear phrases like that, my eyes blur, my brain goes dead. So let's see what they're actually talking about. <laughs> Um, they dissect the underlying principles that enable systems to thrive. Idling capacity, critical mass, and belief in the commons. Look up the commons, Wikipedia, because it's such an old-fashioned term. I think it comes from England, where there was always, in any town, there was always a space that was set up for Everybody, like a park, but it was right. more intricate. You know, there were maybe more services. And so we're going to see a rejuvenation of the, con not only the, the, the physical location, but the concept of the commons. Right. Why? With all due respect to Ms. Zimmerman, yes, it's a social revolution, but we have to go back to the economics here. If you haven't been paying attention, the middle class has been wiped out. And it was done not by accident. It was manipulated by Democrats and Republicans equally. Hate to break the news to you liberal Democrats. But uh, uh, it started under Reagan mm -hmm. through George H.W. Bush, right through Bill Clinton, to George W., through Obama, to Trump. None of them stopped it. Um which was basically through the manipulation of the tax system. Right. Tax cuts for the rich, it'll trickle down. Yeah. This started under Reagan called supply-side economics. Sounds Tr nice. Trickle-down economics. Yeah, you know, what, you know what trickles down on you. Yeah. At any rate, the middle class has been wiped out. Uh, we can grieve, we can cry, we can get our handkerchiefs out, but the fact is that's <laughs> what's happened. And humans, for the most part, have been adaptable. And here is an example, because... There's a statistic, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, some, it's a frightening statistic. The tens of millions of Americans who are 30 days away from bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah. Now, nature abhors a vacuum. The vacuum is getting pretty clear, and it's economic. Um, and the media loves to announce that the stock market's at record highs, but... What percentage of Americans are in the stock market? Right. In any significant way. So, people, this is, the, here's the adaptation. Okay. I've been taught that my personal success is based on what I own. Mm-hmm. Um, well, wait a minute. Let me think that through. I'm, maybe that should be challenged. Maybe not. Maybe for you, that is good. 
You like owning things. You've worked hard to own things. You've been intelligent and creative and hardworking. Now you get to own a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you not to do it. Of course, you're screwing the environment, but that's your, that's <laughs> your right. Um, but the, it's, just, it's a question that we need to ask ourselves because every day we're getting a different message. Right. So, uh, well, I shouldn't say, we're getting a different message from, from mainstream advertisers. But we're also, if we are paying attention, and this is the value of the World Wide Web, despite all the fake news and the craziness, is if we tune in through the noise to the information, there's a revolution going on. And it's economic and it's social. Mm -hmm. Call it whatever you want. Call it the rise of the collaborative consumption. Whatever you want to call it. It's happening. Um, eBay is a billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. Airbnb is a billion dollar company. They are not about owning things. Right. Now you can say, well, wait a minute, but if I owned it, I could make money off it. Okay, fine. Go out and own things. Mm -hmm. But it's the sharing principle that's at work here. And the fact is that it used to be, if you didn't own your own house and have two cars and 2.5 kids, you were a failure. Uh Uh-huh. And yet in uh, Europe, mm, I would think at least half the population never owns a home, rents. Yeah. That, uh, that's how they live. That's what they, you know, if you go to Paris, nobody owns the apartment they live in. They rent it. Yeah. So it takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah. Okay. So how can organizations like Couchsurfing and eBay thrive when a user must depend on a complete stranger to be honest and reliable? I mean, there's an ethics question where if you asked it 20 years ago, you'd say, it won't happen. Mm -hmm. Human beings are too suspicious and we need to be suspicious. Yeah. Otherwise, we get taken for a ride. Years and years ago, uh, there was a magazine um, in England that uh, advertised um, trading houses. And basically, if you wanted to go live in France for a little while. Uh, friends of mine have done that. It's What a beautiful idea. Yeah, it worked really well. Instead of paying a fortune for a hotel, they come and live in your house. You live in their house. Right. You take care of their pets. You have their car. They have your pets. They have your car. And so it works. A lot of trust there. Well, Indeed. The way to promote this mindset is the development of a different kind of community. Although different business models, they both encourage an individual to trust a stranger based on the feedback or rating given by other strangers. Uh huh. This translates to overall satisfaction ratings. These new modes of f- filling personal needs represent a social phenomenon that is reinventing why and with whom we communicate. These systems, businesses or otherwise, are redefining ownership and value by giving consumers more power to define what we want and how we want it. I'll never forget someone mentioning to me a Mrs. Vanderbilt, you know, one of those wealthy dowagers (laughs) Uh from like the 30s. And she was confronted in an interview. Um, You know, she was interviewed on on her yacht. And they said, don't you feel guilty that only a small handful of people can enjoy what you're enjoying right now. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, hey, I worked hard for it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, blah, blah, blah. She said, no, I don't feel guilty. And what I would suggest is if you don't have the money to buy a yacht, find a way to work on one. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's very smart. Right? Yeah. Very smart. I mean, there are ways of getting things you cutting want. Cutting the pie. With, <laughs> yeah. You can live on a yacht and get paid. Yeah. I live on a yacht and get paid for it. Well, you must be a genius. No, I'm no. swapping decks or whatever it is, but I get to, you know. Uh, at any rate, um, the zeitgeist of the 21st century is yours to share. Keep an eye out, folks, because this is this is an economic and social revolution uh, that is going to grow very quickly. Why? Because if the people I read and talk to are correct, the global economy is coming down big time. Mm-hmm. And nature pours a vacuum is a good principle because if we're clever and adaptable enough and deal with our stress and anxiety, which we all do when things change radically, which they are, there are new and novel ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, listen, if I, uh, if I need a uh, chainsaw, I might need it once every two or three years. If I can share with somebody, that makes sense, right? I'm not going to ask you what you would want to chainsaw <laughs> for, but there's a glint in your eye that's a little <laughs> suspicious. And anyway, why don't we take our second break? Did we just kill an hour of radio time? I Good think grief! We did. Um, but that's our that's our job. Um, we uh, in the second hour, uh, we'll get some jazz from the Sonic Soul. Well, actually, right now we're going to tune into our street philosopher Patrick Carlin because we do that before our break. I think we can do that. Um, and um, I think Patrick is there. Are you is there, Patrick, Patrick? Are you there? Yachts, yachts are not up my trail, but uh, I always I told the guys when I left the neighborhood, me and Marlene headed for California. I said I'm going to come back in a white Cadillac, baby. <laughs> and uh, I never I owned a Cadillac for four hundred bucks. I bought a white Eldorado Biarritz with red. <laughs> well, that was a quick four hundred. We have it coming. My first car was a Cadillac too, a nineteen sixty. There you go, baby. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do a yacht and all. I never really yeah. cared. It was that a much, yacht, but I wound up driving Cadillacs every day. I became a limo driver, baby. There you go. And I'd roll up there, and it, I was a, you could light up and back, do anything you wanted. You had you could get a cool driver or just a driver. If you got a cool driver, that meant you could do whatever you wanted behind that behind me because I ain't caring, man. And uh, had a lot of fun doing that. By the way, I want to put my commercial up there because I admire Madison Avenue. Uh, my mother made a living off of them. She was an executive secretary, man, to the president of the Association of National Advertisers, all right? And uh, she could just pick up the phone and say, hey, it's Mary. And they would answer up because mm. they knew what was coming if they didn't. Anyway, let me tell you about Madison Avenue. I want to put a commercial up front. Because you mentioned, you always mentioned that I'm a friend of the big electron, and I figure I ought to let the people in on this. You don't know what to do at home. Everyone who doesn't know what to do or is bored ought to send $4.99 to Kindle and tell them you want Quinn's Bar and Grill by Patrick Carlin. It's on, it's on, it's on, our, it's on our reading list. I want to explain this is an infomercial. I want the people to know what's in Quinn's Bar and Grill. There are seven short stories in there written by a one-eyed bartender who tends bar at 125th and Broadway. This girl, Alice in Wonderland, a chick from a square place out in Kansas who was hip before the hippies, is his girlfriend. 
and she writes poems, and she's got a song in there. And she hangs out with the free, the freelance nuns. So you got some good reading to do here, and you don't have to read it like a novel. You can pick it up and put it down. It's full of short stories and poems. That's Kindle, four ninety nine, Quinn's Bar and Grill, Patrick Carlin. Tell everybody about it. You will dig it if you listen to this show. Now, people, Even if you just heard it by accident, you'll dig it. If you're a trucker up there, get this. You're in it. Everybody's in it. So, Patrick, right. Patrick. On to the info. Patrick. On to the info. Patrick. That's the commercial. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Now, every Patrick. time before you come on, I write a It's thought. our favorite time and of the, the show is trying to get Patrick to listen Earth to us. It's a tough planet. <laughs> it ain't no place for punk outs or quitters. That's what it's about. And the squirrels and the birds that are around us, you rang my bell. And you've got to have cold pops or you ain't going to have peaches. And if you ain't going to have peaches, you ain't going to have Georgia. Mm. And you won't get the two senators. All this ties up together. Now I want to tell you some more good things because it was a very stimulating program for my brain. It really exploded. We had squirrels. You went to Columbia, Doug, and we had squirrels back at 120th Street and Broadway. And you could sit on the bench there, and they were the Columbia squirrels. And they'd come up and eat the peanuts right out of your hands. And we were neighborhood kids. And the squirrels who live around here, I live in Bearsville. And we don't bother the bears, and they don't bother us. And uh, we got squirrels that run rampant with the chipmunks around here. And I got cardinals that fly in, not, not of, the, uh, of the church, but the little <laughs> red birds. I'm glad you made and that distinction. And they come in, and we got a squirrel, man. We got a squirrel who nobody bothers. I call him Little Red. And he's not gray. He's a little red squirrel, and he is ferocious. You don't want to be on Red's turf. <laughs> and he's right handy to the house. So they all have to fend. And I'll tell you a quick squirrel story, man. I was out there when Kelly gave George's archives to the National Comedy uh, Museum and uh, Lucy Ball thing out there, and uh, Jamestown, New York. And really cool place. You can see every comic in the world there. This is not a commercial. This is just info. And uh, me and uh, Louis Black is a good friend of Kelly's. So uh, Louis and I were sitting on the porch. And Kelly and her girlfriends had gone somewhere and left their chow, little buns and uh, biscuits and stuff. And Mr. Squirrel found that, man. And this dude, he was like shopping. He'd grab a quarter of a thing and take it on down. Then he'd come back, and I said, and Lewis is sitting there. And I said, hey, Lewis, watch this. I said, Mr. Mr. Squirrel, come back for another quarter of a, of a muffin, man. And he says, Mr. Squirrel would look good on a spit, wouldn't he, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> I love him. I love people like that. So anyway, uh, I don't know if I'm still uh, on the air here. You are. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me get you but off? I would like to tell you that uh, you have to fend, and life is about fending. And uh, you've got to stick together, and you've got to stay home. And you got to put your mask on, and you got to get your vaccinations. You can't let people con you. Don't listen to conspiracy crap. Listen to your own mind. And uh, I'm right, brain, left, man. My two love each other. Well, listen, Patrick. And we in, we always appreciate an injection of Patrick Street philosophy. You'll give our best to the big electron. And I, uh, and I want to tell you one <clears> more thing, real baby. quick. 
21st century zeitgeist. Look at it in slick letters and look at the locomotive in your brain that you see when you're watching the Poirot introduction on TV. 21st century zeitgeist. What a what a great name for a band, Ron. Put that together, <laughs> and thanks for Iggy Pop. That's one of my favorite drum tunes, man. All right, Ruth, Patrick, we're going to take a break. Always a pleasure. We'll talk you to you next week. week. <laughs> okay. That's a locomotion that's tough to stop. You bet. We love them. I bet you the squirrels love them, too. I'll bet they do, too. All right. Let's take our hour break. Uh, after that, we're going to check in with the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, get some cool jazz. Um, we've got uh, some rock and roll jukebox and a special guest at 830. Oh. You know who's coming on? Oh, One I of do. our favorites. Uh-huh. You ready? Well, what, what, what season's coming up? Christmas. Hanukkah, Hanukkah. New Year's, right? Yes. yes. Important to, what's it important to drink over those? Periods? Champagne. And alcohol. Good wine. <laughs> we got yeah. Tim Sweeney. Oh, all right. The owner of Stone Ridge Wine and Spirits, our I favorite wine expert and spirit expert. He'll be joining us at 830. So stay tuned to the Woodstock Roundtable. Give a little- 